Today we'll be inter. <laughs> today. <laughs> today we'll be inter. <laughs> Yanka, don't make me laugh. Okay. Deep breaths. Act like we have all the time in the world. Okay. Today we'll be interviewing Natalie Riley, the sweetest PhD candidate you'll ever meet. She's currently. Com <laughs> <fuck> off. <laughs> Can you tell that I'm stressed? <laughs> nah. I have to fuck right off. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to episode 5 of Dear Uni, I'm Lost. I'm Kat. And I'm Yanka. And today we're going to be talking about what it is like doing a PhD in the Netherlands and whether you should do one. We'll also touch on the ins and outs of the application process and how you can make sure you get the right project for yourself. Today we'll be interviewing Natalie Riley, the sweetest PhD candidate you'll ever meet. She's currently completing her fifth year in the Netherlands in the field of immunology. This episode is for those of you who may be undecided about whether doing a PhD is the right choice for you. Although the episode focuses on the structure and application process of a PhD in the Netherlands, it is just as relevant for those considering pursuing it in other countries. You should also tune in if you are simply curious to find out more about the field or if you simply like to listen to our sweet, sweet voices waffle. All of the information discussed in this episode, including links to websites, can be found in the description below or on our Instagram link tree. Anyways, now on to the interview. Um, so, hi Nat, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming and talking to us. Uh, for the first question, could you talk to us a little bit about your academic journey and who you are? Sure, thanks for having me guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I am, well, I'm half Dutch and half American, and I was born in Holland, and uh, I moved to the U.S. when I was 12 with my mom and my brother, and so I did my high school there and also my bachelor's degree there in North Carolina, and I got my bachelor's in biology and with a minor in chemistry, and yeah. I don't know. I've always just liked biology. Ever since high school, we had a teacher that had a bunny rabbit in the classroom and she would let it run around. I just thought that was so cool. <laughs> but also, I don't know, the whole subject was cool. So then I was, when I went mm. to my bachelor's, I just thought, well, that, I like that. So I'm going to keep studying that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I graduated uh, cum laude with uh, my degree in biology and chemistry and then was trying I knew I wanted to keep studying but I didn't know where so I was looking at master's programs in the U.S. and in the Netherlands and eventually decided to move back to the Netherlands and I got a master's degree in biomolecular sciences um, and then after that was once again like, oh, what do I do? And right. <laughs> <laughs> then decided to uh, eventually decided to do a PhD. And now I've been doing that for the past five, four and a half years. Wow. Long time. <laughs> <laughs> it is a long time, but it goes so fast. Yeah. <laughs> and you did internships before doing your PhD as well? Yeah. So in my bachelor's, I actually did an internship in something that I absolutely hated. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be genetics and it sounded really cool. And then I got accepted and I went all the way to Texas for this internship and it 
turned out uh, that it was like the whole the concept was really cool. They were they were building pine tree forests that were genetically altered to uh, see if they would thrive better in like climate change. But the only thing they had us do was just measure the phenotypes of these trees to see how tall they were, collect like samples. <laughs> and so it was in the middle of the summer in Mississippi and it was so hot and they made us wear all these like snake guards and stuff. And oh. I was like, what am I oh, doing no. here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... That's a bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, well, now I know that I don't want to do that. Um, and then in my master's degree, I actually ended up choosing it partially because it had the requirement of doing two internships, like to get like real practical experience. Um, so then I did one internship of my master's at a company in Amsterdam and the second internship at the European Space Agency. That is crazy. <laughs> that is really cool. And so what did you do in each of these? Uh, so I went to this company called Biodetection Systems and they basically do like food quality measurements and stuff, but they have like, like the business side of it where they just process samples and check for, I don't know, different types of chemicals and hormones in food. But they had the research side, which is where I was, where we were, uh, my project was testing like food extracts so I was looking at extracts from shiitake mushrooms and seeing if they had an effect on uh fat cells like to see if they would wow uh, be more inflammatory or anti-inflammatory just because of huh. what you're eating wow okay that's super interesting <laughs> yeah so it was pretty cool but I have to say I didn't like the business aspect of it because they I didn't have that much to do all of the time and but they were very strict on you staying those eight hours a day you had to like sign in and sign out and so when I was done I would be like what do I do now <laughs> and then mm. uh, my second internship I wanted to do something super different and the way the master's was set up is you have to write like your thesis is a literature review so I started a literature review with um I don't know what to call him, like my, eventually my supervisor and he worked at the European Space Agency because I thought that's a cool topic and he had given us a lecture once so I contacted him that way and after the literature review I was like can I also do an internship with you <laughs> and um, that ended up working out and uh, we ended up looking at how different levels of gravity can influence like your fat so wow so because i mean it's more generally known that astronauts they have problems with bone density and things like that but they actually also increase how much fat they have and they have problems with becoming diabetic i think and so things like that i'm not exactly sure anymore but so what they're looking at is like, I guess, way, way in the future to make, like, rotating space stations that would simulate gravity. Oh, wow. So we're looking at also if increased gravity would have the opposite effect. So if you, so we use, like, tiny animals. Like, I had these weird little wasps that were, like, this big. 
and um, they're born with the amount of fat that they will have for the rest of their lives. So we were seeing like if they would, mm. yeah. So if they would use it faster or slower, depending on where they were. But it was mostly towards the hypergravity. So they had this giant uh, centrifuge, and you just put the the animals in there and be like, "Okay, have fun," and then spin <laughs> oh, them no. around for several days. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'm i sorry to be laughing at that. That is kind of sad, but also funny. <laughs> I mean, it was, funny. but I don't know. <laughs> we were okay. They were still alive afterwards. I think we had little Daphnias, so they got a bit dizzy. They were like swimming in circles <laughs> oh, <laughs> at the end of it. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so wow. I mean, that's such an interesting project because you can see the impact it could have on future space uh stuff yeah i feel like it was like super future like really far away because they would still want to build like a hypergravity station on earth first to see how that then works before they even try that in space so it's like i don't know kind of felt a bit far-fetched but it was cool to do and be there um and how do you think uh these internships changed your mindset in terms of what you wanted to do later were these the ones that made you like oh I want to do a PhD after this um so I was still not sure if I wanted to do a PhD afterwards Mm -hmm. um just because I had very random projects and when I was working at the company there weren't PhDs there so it was more like kind of seeing like the day-to-day and then my other internship also was just directly me with the supervisor so there was no one like in between. So I didn't get that opportunity. Um, But uh, I was looking at jobs after I finished my master's. And a lot of it was just like analysis, like getting samples and running those samples and then getting more samples and doing that. And that seemed quite boring to me. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) So I really, I liked, what I really liked was like, I liked my internships. I liked that there was a question. And then when we answered that question, we could ask another question and figure out that thing. So, like, in that sense, I liked that it was a project that you figure out what is the answer. And that was kind of my big motivation to doing a PhD is that I, I liked the internships. I liked answering questions and working on that. So I thought, well, might as well do like an extended internship for yeah. four years <laughs> yeah hmm. so that's usually the amount of time that a phd takes uh in your sector so, in, the, in the netherlands in the netherlands you get you always get a contract for four years and i think it very much depends on what subject you're in like i know if you're in medicine like actually like a doctor then it's much easier to finish in four years. And a lot of them do it in less than four years. Um, but you're, if you're more on the fundamental research side, I don't know a single person that has finished in four years. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Research never, <laughs> never goes like you planned it to go. So. Uh, and it's just, it's so much slower. And um, at least at where I'm doing it, they hold you to the same standards as medical doctor PhDs so then it's like so much harder to actually finish that (laughs) Mm -hmm. and do you know what the like what the factor is that makes such a difference in terms of how fast people can finish 
so in my head (laughs) 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 um i think when you're so when you're doing a phd as a medical doctor you're often just looking at data sets and you're figuring out like they would they did this study and these are the results and this is what came out of it and that could be much faster than I need to set up a model. I need to figure out how to set up the model. I need to figure out if it works, then I need to apply that to something. And then I need to, that tells me one thing, but that's not really enough to write like a full story about. So then you need to figure out the next thing. And before you know it, you're like years further. (laughs) Yeah. And then your cells die and then you have to restart. (laughs) Yes. Anything can happen in the middle of it. And (laughs) There's contamination or I don't know. <laughs> oh, research sometimes gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, genuinely, because knowing from people in my family as well and um, in general, how long it can take to just establish a methodology is insane. Yep. <laughs> it can actually take years and years to just work out how to test what you're looking for yeah it's it's insane yeah so that also changes some fundamental like when you start your phd things have already been established and you can like take off but some of them are like we need someone to start this project right so it just it depends a lot on what you enter into yeah yeah okay makes sense i mean yeah that's nice that you have the option of choosing whether you want (laughs) to go through all that pain (laughs) sometimes I mean if you really like the subject you're like this is the thing I want to do and this is the only option I guess a lot of people will do that which is how you get people doing these things yeah exactly (laughs) no that makes sense yeah of course I mean if you really like something of course you'll you'll enjoy making up the methodology and, and making sure that it works so yeah um yeah um so then you said that even after your internships you weren't sure that you wanted to do a PhD so then what did make you decide to do one and was it because of a specific career goal or was this more related to the research project that you that you found so it was a lot of me looking at what was out there with just a master's degree and thinking like I, I liked lab work so I knew I wanted to do something with lab work but all the jobs out there with just lab work were didn't just seem that interesting to me <laughs> like I wanted more of a challenge and then so a PhD was really a project and I could something that I would be able to also shape a bit and ask my own questions eventually so I liked that bit of like independence that it would give you yeah and then also the amount of opportunities with jobs. Also, when I was just looking, a lot of them did require a PhD already. So I was like, well, that seems like something that I do want to do, but I don't have that degree yet. So then, yeah, the PhD so seemed. Yeah, so kind of like a, a thing for uh, for you to have a lot more doors open than yeah. to other jobs. At least that's what I hope. <laughs> what it seemed like at the time. No, I'm sure that with a PhD, you could do anything. I mean, I'm currently doing a placement um, and f- to go- to get back to, to that kind of career after I graduate, I would either need a pharmaceutical degree, a medical degree, or have a PhD. So I might consider doing one. I don't know yet. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really make sense for that role, but I guess 
it's just the tradition that people have to, you know, mm-hmm. get get those degrees before they start. Yeah. I think a lot more also companies are just requiring it. Mm-hmm. Like now, like I think it didn't used to be such a big thing, but I mean nowadays more and more people are getting one and have that degree. So yeah, it's crazy to think like back when my grandparents were at university, graduating with a bachelor's made you a doctor. So in really? every yeah, and it's uh, in every like bank card that my grandparents have, they have like doctor before their name, and I find that really funny. That's <laughs> so I'm- cool. <laughs> I'd be like triple doctor now. (laughs) Exactly. The ultimate doctor. To get a PhD, you get the ultimate doctor. (laughs) So in your view, who do you think um, should do a PhD? Because it's not for everyone. No, I don't think it is for everyone. I think you really have to like a challenge. Mm -hmm. Like if you're someone that easily gets very stressed out, and like just I don't know yeah someone who get worries a lot about things and um, maybe don't do a PhD because it's it's gonna be stressful Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but if you like puzzles if you like the challenge if you like working on a project and answering like okay we know this what's the next question a lot of people also like they uh once you know something, you want to do something with that knowledge and like bring that to the next level. But then for a PhD, it's more like, oh, that's cool. What does that mean for this? So it's like a constant question to the next step. So if you want to like keep asking more questions, then I think PhD is for you. And also, if you really find a topic that you really, really like, like you have to really enjoy what you're doing because you're going to be spending so much time and so many years just looking into one thing so if you don't like something don't yeah obviously go that deep into it (laughs) but I mean if you yeah if you like what you're doing and you can handle some stress and you're okay with I mean there's gonna always be things that don't work so just Mm -hmm. being prepared to do what it takes what do you think is the hardest part of that you've um, had to deal with about doing a PhD? Probably, uh, I guess things just not working <laughs> the way you think or having something that does work for so long and then all of a sudden it stops working. <laughs> Even just basic things, which is what we had this past week. We had, we have this RNA isolation that has always worked. And then it stopped working and now we have contamination with DNA and I have no idea why. (laughs) Right. So it's just, it's always something (laughs) and it can be quite frustrating, but. So you have to easily adapt to like these situations then. Yeah. Yeah. And be flexible with your schedule. Like I was going to plan on like doing a bunch of writing, but now I need to go to the lab to fix that thing that isn't working so that (laughs) that can keep going well then I can go back to writing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, research on anything organic is just (laughs) a nightmare sometimes because you genuinely, part of the research is figuring out how things work. So because we don't know everything yet, I don't think we ever will, but... Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) there's always going to be more questions. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's really good advice. I mean, I feel like, especially with a PhD in biology or or, uh, anything related to cells, really, (laughs) especially there, I think it's, it's super important to have someone that won't get freaked out by things not working mm-hmm. or if you do freak out that you do have a way of coping with it because you know obviously you're bound to freak out because obviously it's your it's your it's your heart and soul for for four <laughs> years you know and then it just it yeah. just stops working and then obviously it's normal to have a to have an emotional reaction yeah my i remember my biology teacher I think I think this is what she used to say is that like in biology there's never there's never there are never rules there are always exceptions so you might know <laughs> a lot about it uh, but then you know it won't work because for that thing it just doesn't work yep <laughs> you can't know everything about it that's so true <laughs> it's not like physics or maths which are like a lot more concrete mm-hmm. so yeah yeah life likes to do its own thing yeah exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned that you were contemplating on whether to keep living in the u.s or to move back to the netherlands and then you decided to uh, move back to the netherlands in the end so i'm I'm not sure whether you can answer this question uh, in a lot of detail but in your view how does a phd in the netherlands differ from one in the u.s and and how come you chose to do one in the netherlands um So when I was initially, after my bachelor's moving back, I chose the Netherlands because it had more internship opportunities and it seemed, um, at least the programs that I was looking at, the one in the US was one a lot more expensive and um, was more like a specialization and the one in the Netherlands was less expensive (laughs) and... um, was a bit broader. So I felt like I had more opportunities after. So then that's why I chose the master's in the Netherlands. And then after the master's, when I was looking at PhD positions, I actually got to talk to one of my mom's friends who runs the, I think the breast cancer department at Duke University, which is a big university. And he was telling me a bit about how the PhDs is set up there. Uh, versus, well, then I could compare to how that is in the Netherlands. Um, But the biggest difference I thought was um, in the Netherlands, you you really applied to a project directly. And then you spend four years actually doing research and figuring out that question. Whereas in the US, I think the first year, it's mostly still classes and courses from what I think, uh, and then you then find a department and apply to that department, and then you start a project from there, and that becomes your thesis. And I think that also differs. Some programs I know in the U.S. are combined master's, PhDs, so then uh, I think you could go straight to a PhD, but I don't really know <laughs> what that is. Um, the other difference is that in the Netherlands, they offer you an actual salary that you can live off of. Yeah. <laughs> and that seemed really nice. <laughs> to, I mean, in the U.S., you get a stipend, which is supposed to cover living costs and whatnot. 
but I know it's from what I see at least online and stuff is it's not enough to cover a lot of the living expenses and a lot of them end up having to get jobs on the side of that. Um, and I was just thinking there, especially now when I think there's no way that I could do another job on the side of this, like this is, I've spent so much time just on the PhD. I have no idea how people out there are doing <laughs> that plus more. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It sounds insane because I mean, just based on, you know, what you told us about how, you know, things can go wrong so easily and how much time you now have to spend in the lab and now you can't, you know, focus on writing. If you had another job next to that, that would, I I don't know if I would have the mental strength to pull through that yeah, with plus, a state in yeah. mind. If you can't finish in four years in the Netherlands and you've got a salary and you've got all these things, um, you know, in, in, in the States, I can't even imagine how long it will take to finish a PhD if you have to have a part-time job. Yeah, I think the in the U.S., the requirements are also a bit lower. So I don't, at least at my uni, we have a certain number of publications that we have to have, and that becomes our thesis. But I think in the U.S., you, at least some unis don't require any publications, but you do, you do have to write a thesis but it doesn't have to be published. So I think in that sense, you could finish more easily than you could at my uni, but I think that also varies. Okay. So then how um, does the pub publication process work where you are and how long does it take for one publication to be published? Well, that depends partially on how long it takes you to make like something ready, like I've had a project going for almost four years now. So I don't know if you count those four years, but once you finally start writing it, I mean, it depends also on how fast you write, but then you have to turn it in to a journal and then they'll either reject you directly or they'll say, um, we're going to send it to reviewers. The reviewers get, I want to say two weeks to a month or so to read it and send their comments back. Then you get the comments back, you have to rebuttal that and change things. And in terms of experimental papers, they might ask you to do more experiments. So you might have to actually go back to the lab and redo something. And then once you fix everything, you send it back to the journal. Sometimes it goes back to reviewers, but not always. Uh, and then the journal will either accept you or still reject you. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. if you get a reject, then you got to start all over to the next journal. Uh, okay. But if it's accepted, they'll start making it like in their format. And then you you get like one more time where they send you like the final formatting and you have to go through it to check that like it's all right. Like an editor, at least I don't know if it's all journals. I've only published one thing and it was in a higher journal. So the editor went through and like fixed my sentences to make them like sound nicer. But I had to go through and make sure that like the message was still the same. And then after that, it took, I think, another month before it was actually published. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. and you cannot apply to multiple at once, to multiple journals at once? No, usually just submit it to the one. Okay. You, if it's rejected, you'll usually get that back pretty quickly. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then so you, you can, can start the process the for next one. <laughs> <laughs> and try not to get too depressed. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> yeah. So then it does take quite a bit of time. So once you, what would you say once you submit one and then if the journal doesn't reject it straight away, um, what would it take? Like three months? I guess that would be fast. Yeah. Like three, I think some could even take up to half a year. It just depends on the journal and how fast they are. Sometimes it takes a while to get a response back. And sometimes a reviewer, like they'll, they'll tell them the date. Um, but my boss has also once been asked to review something and he gave that to me because <laughs> He was, I don't know, maybe lazy or it's also a good opportunity to like read other people's work. But he also said like, oh, they, they put a due date, but you could send it back whenever. So <laughs> it's like, oh, poor people on the other side. <laughs> yeah. So it really, it depends. It can really vary. If everything's like smooth and everyone does their thing on time, then it can be fast. But if something happens or if you need to redo an experiment or whatnot it can take much longer but it's all part of it and um so my uni requires well requires it wants three experimental chapters uh which i mean it's not actually stated anywhere but they should be published it's like an unofficial official rule kind of thing um so um you have to have two that are like fully published published when you go to submit your thesis and the rest can be like submitted somewhere so it's not like already out there but it is in that process so you can say look i'm it's basically done and i want to graduate so <laughs> please read this and then so you can still graduate with that but okay yeah, I was going to ask because because if it takes so long to have something published, then would that affect your, you know, impact or when, when you're able to graduate? Yeah. Yeah. And do these uh, experimental chapters have to be related to each other? Basi I mean, your whole project is one big project. So your chapters kind of are all on the same topic. And like I said, you like ask a question and you ask the next question and then you ask the next question, which kind of makes all your chapters. Um, so usually they are related to each other. I also had a friend that had very many chapters, but kind of two parts of a project that weren't necessarily related to each other. And then he just split that into like part A and part B. And each of those two parts had different chapters on a certain topic. Okay. Right. Um, so going back to like application processes, could you describe a little bit your experience of how it was to apply to a PhD um, in the Netherlands and what sort of background you need in order to qualify for one? Yeah, so I think at least here what I know of, there are two main ways to get mm -hmm. a PhD. A lot of people did internships at groups and those groups just immediately offered them a position off of their okay. internship. Um, but Without the need for um, interviews? They just have oh, a spot okay. and because, I mean, you've basically done a six-month interview right. <laughs> as an intern. Right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of know how you work at that point. Yeah. And think and if they want to keep you or not. 
Um, but so for me, I, uh, didn't have that because where I, I did one at a company and then the ESA didn't have money for a PhD. Uh, so I actually applied through a website. So it's more like a job application here rather than applying to like a school. Okay. You apply directly to a project and there's a website uh, called academictransfer.nl and they mm-hmm. post a lot of PhD projects that you can apply to and it'll have like the title of the project and then you can like send a CV and your motivation letter to that project and it'll go to that group. Uh, you can also send like an open letter. Like if there is a group you think, oh, I like the type of research they do, you can send an open letter and say, hey, like I have, this is my CV and my motivation. I like this work and I saw that you do that. Do you have any opportunities for me? Right. Um, so I actually sent an open letter to now my current boss and he said they didn't have anything at the moment, but if I waited like a month or two, then they would have something and it would be on that website. Um, so I found it on the website and then applied to the project. And um, then I got an interview and the first interview, they required me to do a presentation, which I just took my like master thesis and presented that. And then, I mean, like all your standard job interview questions, we went through that. And then there was also a second interview. So I had to wait a bit and be like, oh, am I going to get another interview? <laughs> and uh, they, he called me back and said, yeah, we liked the interview, uh, but we want to have a second interview and we're going to require you to uh, read this article and give a presentation, like a journal club presentation on the article. And this was 24 hours before the, the, the interview. So I got this article and it was on Mendelian randomization, which is something that I have zero ideas about, like none. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? So um, was it my best presentation ever? No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mostly tried to show just like what my thoughts were on it, what I would research next, how I would research next, even Mm -hmm. if I didn't quite understand like how Mendelian's randomization actually works. Um, And I mean, I seem to have gotten the PhD. (laughs) So So it it went well. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. So in, um, because the only point of reference that I have is a PhD in um, in the UK. And in the UK, you can do a PhD even if you just have a bachelor's, if you have like the, the right amount of work experience. Um, is that something that you can do in the Netherlands or is it a requirement to have a master's? Um, I don't think it's a requirement. I know also a lot more on like the medical, like doctor sides, a lot of after their bachelor's, you can go straight to doing a PhD. Okay. Um, but I think for the more fundamental side, it's better to have a master's first because you get that internship uh, experience that I don't know if you necessarily have that after your bachelor's here or anywhere. <laughs> so 
um, they really, I think for a PhD, they want you to have experience and lab experience. Like they don't want to train you from the basics. So yeah, of course, if you do have that, I think the master's helps. But I mean, if you're that good after your bachelor's, you could go for it. <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> right. So that means that um, if someone, because we're doing a placement year right now, um, but we're doing one um, at a at a pharmaceutical company. Uh, but I know that most of uh, the people that go to our uni and do uh, placement year in our course, they do lab placements in during their bachelor's. So wait, is a placement like an internship or? Yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> okay. it's an internship, yeah, essentially. Um, sometimes you get paid, sometimes you don't. So that's why it's called a placement instead of an internship because it's, you know, sometimes people Especially get paid. Especially lab inter- uh, placements, they tend to not be paid. Yeah. But yeah, so that would mean then if someone had a year's lab experience, that they gain from their bachelor's, could they technically then apply and have an actual chance at, at getting accepted at a PhD? Because they also have to write a thesis for our university. Yeah, I mean, depending on the project, of course, and like what you want to apply for, it has to be like kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, if you know how to handle yourself and think about things, then it's all about selling it really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's truly about how you sell yourself. And also, like, I think a master's adds that additional qualification that it's so much easier to be like, oh, this candidate has a master's. So they've probably got more experience. Um, Yeah. And so what kind of advice would you give to those that want to apply to degree in the Netherlands? Not necessarily just a PhD, but um, is it any different than your experience applying for your bachelor's? Mm, it was different in the sense that, I mean, at least here is more, like I said, more like a job application. So it was really about selling like myself and my skills and the way I was able to think about questions and ask more questions and like think critically rather than I think a bachelor's more like I got these grades and I did this course and please accept me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And how about your master's? So did that differ from? I think the master's was very similar to the bachelor's. Like, yeah. (laughs) So regardless of the country, it's just, it's just. um, Yeah, I think it's, it might also be a bit different because I am Dutch. So I, I don't know if, if as an international, if you would have to go through different like processes, you might be required like a, like an English language kind of test. Um, but I did do my master's fully in English because I didn't want to switch all of my biological knowledge into Dutch suddenly. I <laughs> so I did yeah. <laughs> choose a master's because it was also in English here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I completely get that. I I wouldn't want to the switch same. everything <laughs> I know into Hungarian either. Because <laughs> it's also a lot easier to... Um, use an English degree in any further job that you have because it's just easier to move around um, if you know everything in English rather than a more this is kind of sad to say but a more niche language (laughs) yeah yeah I understand but yeah it's right (laughs) 
So what kind of advice would you give to anyone applying to a PhD? Um, I guess the biggest thing is to have some sort of experience, like just if you're going to do a lab PhD, make sure you know how to hold a pipette and <laughs> do yeah. that kind of like at least basic things. And if you're going to do internships, um, try to choose internships that kind of give you different skills, like different labs will specialize in different skills. So if you can choose one that does this set of things and then choose a second one in another set, then you'll just be like that much more sellable, <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> um, and just, yeah, work on critical thinking, things like that. But usually it's kind of all like just kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. Are, do you think there are any like more relevant skills that they're looking for when, when choosing PhD candidates? I think that's super specific to each lab. Like if you're going to, if this lab does flow cytometry and you don't know any, <laughs> they're going to be like, hmm, maybe we want someone who has done that before. But how about non-technical skills? I mean, so in the interview, they'll ask you to do like the presentation and stuff and at least for me they asked to do the literature uh like journal club thing so they do test like how your thinking is how your presentation is um so i mean you have to at least be able to talk to people yeah of course <laughs> and things like that and be able to after the the presentation they ask questions so they look at do you actually like there's one thing to present stuff, but are you actually, do you know it? Mm -hmm. And do you understand it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. makes sense. Okay, so they, they grill you. <laughs> well, <laughs> not too hard, but they do, they want to know that you are able to think. No, that makes sense, of course. I mean, you you would want people who, who not only know how to speak, but actually are knowledgeable um, about the subject that they yeah. are presenting about. And are able to like ask questions and like what would you do next and be able to like already kind of see where the project is going like to have that vision yeah um uh so we talked about work experience in what ways do you feel that your academic background prepared you for your phd so your um previous courses and what skills did you wish you had learned in those courses before starting your PhD? Um, so I think my academic background prepared me at least with the knowledge that I needed for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I guess a bachelor's in biology is super broad still because I mean, I still, I took courses in like ecology and things like that, but it did help eliminate things that I didn't want to study. <laughs> I do wish that I had taken a course in immunology at the time because now I've ended up kind of in an immuno immunological field. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there was definitely an, an immunology course at that time. I was like, ah, it's fine. And now I'm like, <laughs> why did I skip that? <laughs> and the, the other really big thing that I'm happy I did is get my minor in chemistry because okay. it actually did give such a fundamental like just like basic 
understanding was enough to help me understand like they would say like this and this happens this way and then I understand because of my knowledge even as basic as it is in chemistry I understand why that is that way right so yeah do you think that helped you in terms of just operating in a lab so the chemistry minor I don't know about like actual lab work oh okay <laughs> i mean when you're handling chemicals it's nice to know like what goes first like the the acid or the water kind of thing <laughs> but i mean <laughs> uh, i don't work that much with chemicals you get that knowledge from work experience as well yeah you wouldn't have to know a lot about chemistry then yeah yeah okay makes sense so is there anything that you wish your um, previous courses had uh, taught you about research or uh, in general that you feel like were missing before you um, started your PhD? So I was, I was trying to think of this question earlier. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, I think like a lot of it was covered. I think I did choose a master's degree that was very specific like I chose biomolecular sciences so I chose something that could even like you could uh, then specify towards like biochemistry and stuff like that so I think maybe I chose something like too small <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like literally small right. um, <laughs> uh, so maybe like something more biomedical would have been more what I was interested in right so it's mainly just the field that you chose yeah um right okay but I don't think I've learned less because I chose this if anything I just learned something more specific (laughs) yeah yeah makes sense yeah of course so what are some things that you were completely unaware about a PhD that you feel like you know are not often talked about um and that are like essential to consider before doing one? I think the like main thing is to like, you have to really like a subject. And I think like people are like, oh, you just like go do a PhD. But if it's like, I think I've said it already, but if you don't like something or you're not like, you might like it, but it's not something you're actually passionate about like it's so hard because like you you spend so much time and it's gonna be pretty much all you can think about sometimes (laughs) so if it's not something you actually really care about then at least find the subject that you do care about like i don't think that's necessarily discussed like how much you have to really enjoy it Otherwise, everything's just not going to be enjoyable. The other thing would be to look at supervisors. If you can actually get along with this person, what they're like. And I know that's super hard, but in these types of interviews, it's it's not just them interviewing you. It's also you kind of interviewing them. Like, do you have a click with the person? And another thing you could do that one of my colleagues actually did was reach out to a bunch of us on, uh, I think it was Facebook Messenger or LinkedIn or something. And he just asked, hey, 
I'm looking at accepting a PhD in your group, what's the group like? What are the dynamics like? Are you happy where you are? So asking those questions <laughs> to people that are already there, maybe not everyone will answer you because it's kind of sometimes strange to just get a message from someone. Um, but uh, someone will reply to you and then, yeah, you have to feel the link. And if you think this is a good fit for you, yeah. Yeah. That's such good advice because uh, I remember at our uni, there were some days where we were able to talk to some PhDs and essentially most of the advice that we got was make sure that you click with your lab and make sure that you will actually enjoy working with those people. Not only that you will enjoy your project, obviously, but I, I talked to some people who had a kind of, um, you know, not necessarily great experience in their labs. And, and it, it, it is four or five years of your life or even more. And I don't think the, the, the final outcome of having a PhD, you know, having doctor in front of your name is kind of worth sacrificing that much of your mental health and so many years um sacrificed in terms of sorry i i understand what you're saying i mean it's it's like it's hard enough as it is i wouldn't add being unhappy in a general sense to that (laughs) yeah so so what you said about you also interviewing the people that are interviewing you really is great advice because people should know where they are going to end up and and they should reach out to people under their supervisor that under their prospective yeah. supervisor and and see if people are actually happy where they mm-hmm. are yeah yeah for sure i think that's yeah. something that we've been trying to promote a lot with this podcast is really do your research before you you sign up for i don't know be it a 3 year bachelor's or a 5 year phd like really get to grips with um, what you're going to be doing and reach out to people doing the same thing so that you know what you're signing up for. Yeah, it's so important. The other yeah. thing is, if you do do a PhD, time goes by so fast. We said it <laughs> earlier, I think, but yeah. it goes by so fast. And I know I did the same thing as a first year. Like You're like, oh, four years, I got so much time. It's going to be fine. And then you get to year four and you're like, oh my God. God, <laughs> how have I only done this much? <laughs> so, like, if you're going to do a PhD, just, like, the easiest thing is to hit the ground running and start going and just read on your subject because for about the whole first year, you're not going to – you're going to feel like you don't know anything <laughs> right? because okay. it is – yeah, a project's going to be so specific that – just gonna feel like everyone else around you knows so much you're like I know nothing <laughs> yeah okay that's also great advice so so just just read yeah okay it's not a very exciting thing to do but it helps so much <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah and so you're almost at the end of your PhD I'm assuming I mean almost 
Can you see the finish line? Can you see the light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. Almost there. Um, what are some things that your PhD experience has taught you that you think could be transferable to other fields in case someone decides, actually, I don't want to do research um, and then go into another field? Do you think you've learned skills that could be applicable to other fields? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's like so many things. I'm getting better at multitasking <laughs> and time management. Um, in the beginning, things just take so much longer. And now I've like become just so much more efficient with my time, which also links to the multitasking. Like if there's something that is running, then I can do something else. And I know what fits in that time. So yeah, <laughs> that. <laughs> There's also, of course, the, the whole critical thinking and the problem solving part and aspect of it because things go wrong all the time. And mm -hmm. that also links to kind of finding creative solutions to things like to think outside of the box from the standard protocol that there is. There's you find all sorts of ways and things to use instead that I didn't necessarily like I had it but it's more now <laughs> yeah um and of course there's communication and leadership I've uh uh had my own interns now so I've taught oh, okay. other people I've yeah been kind of like a manager I guess in that sense hmm. I've managed other people I've presented my work at conferences and at different talks I can do all of that <laughs> I think there's plenty of things like it's not just your research you do so much around that as yeah. well yeah that's so interesting so at what point of your PhD do you start getting interns uh I started at my second year oh wow okay I think that's also like when you're an intern you think of this PhD as someone that has so much um so much experience and knowledge and then once you are the phd you're like i don't know this but we're gonna wing it together <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that is that is so true because when i think of you know doing internships with phds it's like oh okay this person knows everything because they're doing a phd but it's really you're just you've just finished your master's and you're you just started or you're just doing a PhD and yeah <laughs> yeah that's so odd to think about yeah I didn't even realize it until I had my own intern and I was like oh <laughs> I, this is me now <laughs> like I have to tell you what to do <laughs> <laughs> no it's so interesting like you always think that you know that person that is in that like particular life stage has got it all figured out but they could be just as lost as you so yep yeah yeah <laughs> fake it to make it exactly yeah yeah i mean it, it it starts as early as like you know first grade oh my god the third graders they yeah they, <laughs> you know they are always hanging out by the by the water cooler Water cooler? Water <laughs> what? Water fountain? Water fountain. Cool. <laughs> Look at her. She's a, she's working in corporate, so now she only speaks yeah. in corporate language. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Um, 
yeah that's so funny and then when you get there you're like oh my god the fifth graders yeah. and then yeah it just keeps on going exactly the rest yeah. of your life <laughs> so whilst we're on the topic of having your life figured out <laughs> um do you have any particular aspirations after your phd are you kind of just seeing where things go you're completely lost which is completely valid <laughs> I saw your question and I just wrote it down in my notes in all caps. Good question. (laughs) (laughs) So right now, I don't know if I necessarily want to stay in academia just because the way I see it, at least from where I am, is all the PIs and people that run departments, most of what they end up doing is grant writing And they're kind of removed from the research. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I mean, we, I still talk to my supervisor and he aids in that, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like still a step removed somehow and is more focused on getting the money so that then the people under him can do the research that he wants done, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I mean, it's a lot of delegating rather than doing, you know, hands on. So I don't know if that's necessarily what I see myself doing for the rest of my life. Um, So I think for me, I would do a postdoc if it was uh, a project that already exists and something that they just need someone to do. And it's an interesting topic to me and related, then I would consider that. But otherwise, I will most likely just switch to industry because I think there's more yeah, I don't know really what it is like in industry, but in my head, there's maybe like more of a link to the research. Okay, okay. So you would be more able to actually do lab work, do you think, in industry? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily lab work. I don't know if I want to stay in the lab either, but just more like around it or something. Okay. Like closer to... Yeah, and not worried about will I be able to even do research because I may or may not have money to do that? Like, I don't want that stress. That is a huge stress. Yeah. That is incredibly painful to have to think about all the time. Yeah. I don't know how it works in the Netherlands. And this is probably like a good question to ask as well. Um, But I know that back home in Portugal, you very much, um, you're paid according to like the budget of the research project so it's it's never really consistent so does that how how does that work in the Netherlands is there like a consistent salary you get all the time I think it depends on your institute I know the PIs in my department are I don't really know how it works but they're linked to the hospital directly so the hospital has like the minimum thing, and then they get paid. They will always get paid from the hospital. But for me, because I'm on a project that's on a grant, it once that grant runs out and there is no more money, then they have to stop paying you. But there is in Holland the minimum, like minimum wage for PhDs that with every year you do, you get a, a bit of an increase up to your fourth year. And then if you're in your fifth year, you still get paid the same as your fourth year. (laughs) Um, But there is that the minimum across the Netherlands, at least 
for PhDs and it could be more depending on what research institute you're at, but you're not going to get paid less. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much, Nat, for coming on to, to our little tiny little podcast. Uh, we really appreciate um, your time and thank you so much for answering all these questions so well. It was, it was lovely to meet you. Yeah, <laughs> you guys too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right. This brings us to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or even a review. Feel free to also share it with your friends or family that you think would enjoy our podcast or would benefit from listening to what was covered in this episode. If you would like to find out more about the topics we have covered today, feel free to reach out to us over at dearuni.imloss on Instagram. We also have a link tree on our bio with links to questionnaires should you want to be a guest or request any industry-specific episodes. Take a little side note, if you'd like to support us, you could buy us a bubble tea by making small donations via a link you can also find on our link tree. Hope to see you all back on our next episode coming out on the 19th of December and stay tuned on our socials to find out who will be our next special guest.